Welcome to Present Company, the Netflix podcast that brings you dynamic conversations with exceptional people behind your favorite series, films, documentaries, and specials. I'm your host, Krista Smith. For years, I was Vanity Fair's ambassador to Hollywood, interviewing countless actors as well as creatives and authorities across the spectrum. My passion is talent, any form of it. How do you know you have it? How do you cultivate it? How do you protect it? And also, I want to get to the heart of what drives it. On this podcast, I'll be talking to people in Hollywood and far beyond. Thank you for joining me. I'm thrilled to bring you today's conversation with Amanda Seyfried, who, simply put, is a revelation in David Fincher's new film, Mank, in which she plays the actress Marion Davies, who was also the long-term lover of publishing magnate William Randolph Hearst. Throughout her career, we've seen Amanda's range, from her performance in Mean Girls to Mamma Mia to Lovelace to Les Miserables. But in Mank, she scales new heights. In this conversation, she talks about how she prepared for the role, what it was like working with Fincher, and what she's taken away from the experience. And she talks about acting alongside Gary Oldman, with whom she shares a magical rapport on screen. Marion, I need a favor. It's just a little joke, Uncle Sure, Mank, anything. I want you to go back and tell Mayor Willie wants the phony Sinclair films pulled. Which phony Sinclair films? There isn't time to explain. I just need you to tell him that. Oh, I couldn't, not even as a joke. Why not? You know I don't lie. And that's why he'd believe you. Marion, please, you're not in convent school anymore. I'm sorry. I, I know it's silly, but... But what? Why not? Promise you won't laugh. I promise I won't laugh. My exit. What? I already made my exit. You're also going to hear what it sounds like to be at home with Amanda right now, with a new baby and the family dog making their presence felt in the background. So sit back, enjoy. Here's Amanda Seyfried. Amanda, it's lovely to see you. Thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. Thanks for having me. I am very excited to talk to you about Mank uh, from the first second I saw it, and I've seen it twice now, and I want to see it a third time. And having the privilege of knowing your career from the very beginning, I feel like, from my time at Vanity Fair and watching you grow, I feel like this is the part that you were meant to play, and you were a revelation in this movie. It was just like, oh, I was I'm just so proud of you. So I'm going to start with that. Thank, thank you. <laughs> and then I'm just going to get into it. Like, how did the script mank? How did it come to you? Like, what were your thoughts when you when they you were first approached? I remember hearing about it. I was at the train station. I was at what is it? Penn Station heading back home. And uh, I was talking to Abby, my agent, who's one of my closest friends and was telling me that Fincher's new movie is happening and, and that I'm, I'm very much in the running. And of course I was like, that's impossible. No way. I don't expect opportunities like that. I think that's how I've gotten around most of my career, just never expecting anything and always being really surprised if something good happens, which has been really helpful. It's worked 
so far. And then knowing that that was possible and knowing that I was going to get a script and that I was going to have to talk to him. And I was like, I, I can't, I can't screw this up. This is my, this is the biggest opportunity in my career for sure. Of course I've had amazing opportunities. I mean, my career has been longish and, you know, I've, I've been able to work on great stuff, but this is definitely another ballpark for me, for sure. I mean, he is one of a kind, David Fincher. So I read the script. It was very compelling. And um, I spoke to him that night very quick. And we had an amazing long conversation about uh, the era. And do you hear that? That's good. Is that a baby or a dog? That's my dog. <laughs> I'm like, the part of me was worried. <laughs> so my mom is downstairs with my newborn and my three and a half year old. Um, but anyway, it was an, he's so smart. This movie has incredible parallels to what's happening right now. And also it's the golden age of Hollywood. It's just, it's perfect. It's a mess. I do. I do think it's a masterpiece and it's something that we haven't seen before. And and truly, like, the greatest gift to me and my, as an actor. Marion Davies is beloved, obviously. And she's something where, you know, on Turner Classic Movies, you can see her films. Uh, and what we know about her is more her legacy of, of being the mistress of, of Hearst and not so much uh, who she was at a per- as a person. And what this film really shows you is who she was as a person and how intelligent and witty and kind and just someone you would obviously gravitate towards and wa- want to be friends with. And I think what makes this film so strong is the relationship between Marion and Mank. And Mank, of course, is played by Gary Oldman. Uh, and your chemistry is just incredible. You don't, as an audience member, you don't not believe it for one second. You feel like you're right there with them. Can you talk to me a little bit about, A, just working with Gary and, and getting to that um, to that working space as an actor to make it all so seamless? Well, it, it starts in a script. The, the, their, their relationship was written in a way that I think captured the best of both of them, the best of Mank in that he was really, truly so easy to be around and just wanted to have fun and was so smart and could spin things and and make things so much more interesting. And Marion is the same. She's really clever and she's very charismatic and really, she just wants to have fun and she just wants to see the best in people. And so you get the best of each of these people who they were and you see it you see them just mix so beautifully in, in the script and you want to believe that that's how their, their relationship was. And I think because Gary is not very precious when he's on set, if he, he's, he doesn't take himself that seriously. That's, I think the thing I love most about him um, as an actor, he, he, he shows up, he knows, he knows exactly what he's doing in terms of like, he, he's very prepared, but he also can play around and nothing can be too serious. And that's the way I work. I am not very precious either. If I make a mistake, you know, I, I don't get into my head. We just, we just really work together that way really well. And I think that you can feel that you can feel this, um, the connection that we have on set and, and how much we love our characters and how prepared we are and how we like to play around. And, you know, 
and the and the connection between Mank and Mary, and they're it's all really kind of fused together. It was really those were really the the best scenes for me, mm-hmm. no doubt. I mean, I, I guess it's kind of obvious that that's like the walk and talk is just it's magical in every way, and it, everything just comes together in that way. But it has a lot to do with how the characters were written. It has a lot to do with how we work. What What did you learn from working with Gary? and someone who's been in so many amazing films. Wow. Uh, I think I learned from Gary that no matter how many movies you've done, no matter how many Oscars you've received, that no matter how many characters that you've played, there's, you still have a center. You still, you're still, you'll still be able to find yourself if you don't take anything too seriously. It doesn't seem like he's chasing anything. He's where he is. And and you can be ambitious and passionate without it being everything and without it, you know, killing you. And I've seen it kill a lot of people. I've seen it bury people. And he's just, He's just there. He's just present, and 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 I know that I I want to I want to maintain that too. I want to be as prepared as he is. I want to have as much fun as he does, and I want to make the most of each each project, each experience. He clearly does that. Other than the script, uh, and I imagine your conversations with David Fincher, how. Did you, Amanda, get into Marion? Like, what was your, you know, did you do research? Like, what what did you start with and kind of what did you end with? Boy, well, I started with terror inside of me because she's a real person and she's Marion Davies. She's this glamorous movie star from the golden age. Someone my dad admired, you know, he's just such a cinephile. So I just, there was a lot to live up to. So I knew I just needed to get as much information as possible, which was not that easy surprisingly she wasn't that well respected when she was alive which was interesting because she's an incredible actor i think she's an an incredible comedian and that's what she loved to do and you could she thrived in that way um you can see she was really happy doing it i i have this i had the book um the way we were the times we had sorry the times we had which was her um autobiography in a way it was just taken from interviews that she she did when like kind of in her later years much later years and there's another biography that's very thick and then she has there's like three movies on amazon that you can just buy right away and click on like kane and mabel and polly of the circus and the other one blondie um blondie uh, polly of the circus blondie of the follies his titles are incredible she's done so many movies but she's a mystery, really. I mean, her autobiography is memories, and we don't know how clear she was at that point when she was being interviewed. And, you know, I, I had all this, I had a, enough research for sure, and I have this script, and I had, and David had somebody, like a researcher on, on his team, and so, like, a, doing historic research. But she was still a mystery. So I had to definitely, as an actor, you kind of fuse your essence in with any character. But the first thing I have to do is find things that I relate to 
find things that are similar, find, you know, ways to fall in love with her. And that was really easy. And then the rest was just accent and trying to hear her voice in, in her movies, but not, but, but find the backstage version of her. It's, it's always, it's always a trip. And I was lucky I had enough information, but, but then at the end of the day, we were also creating her based on an essence that I have and that she has. And that really was helped by just long conversations with David. Mm-hmm. Well, also, some of the gowns and costumes in this film are breathtaking. And I'm thinking about one in the particular scene in San Simeon when you got, it's like after dinner and everyone's like talking about world events and Mank is there with his with his wife and you have this gown that's unreal. <laughs> Talk to me just about wearing that and getting into that and the wigs and and whatnot. That's another character in itself. I feel like the first time I stepped into the entire costume with the hair and the makeup and everything was very specific. And I could tell that when we were doing our camera test, it was just, I mean, down to which ring I was going to wear on which finger, what kind of purse she would, she would have, what would be in it. Um, the shoes, everything was meticulous and just, I felt perfect and, I was transformed. I mean, stepping into that character every night, that was another, like, it took me that much further. Like, it took me to, like, 110% of Marion Davies. The the outfit that you're referring to, the dress, was a, a fabric that I had never even heard of before. I can't even, I don't even know what the name of it was. It The way it looked on screen, the, the screen, the way it catched the light was, it almost seemed like I was wearing an alien suit that was moving in a way, it just, it felt like it was, it kind of felt like it was like a visual effect. Um, it like melted on me. It was just very, very weird. Um, I honestly don't know how to describe it. It was like liquid. I felt like you were walking in liquid. That's what it felt like. Like, like mercury. Mm-hmm. That's what it looked like. And I've never, I've never seen that fabric. I've never seen that material. Probably never see it again. I think it was actually from the era of course, Trish Somerville's, I mean, she's, well, you know, she's, uh, she was amazing. I, I, I don't, I can't, there's like everything I was wearing was couture. No, I've never, I mean, I listen, Les Mis is a close second for sure. Those costumes were made. Um, they were extraordinary for that era. They were so fun, the corsets and everything, but, but this is, this was on another level. I, they're going to be in museums. I'm probably mm-hmm. never going to see them again. No, they were made for me. <laughs> You can visit them in the museums for for the whole world to see. It's spectacular. Yeah, and I was worried. You know, I was really worried because I I had just found out I was pregnant. God, two months before I was finished filming, and I was like, "Listen, this is my second kid. I don't know what's going to happen with these costumes, but you're going to have to be very aware that you might have to <laughs> change everything to, based on how I grow." And it, it things some things had to be let let out a little bit. And then I was so grateful that I had already shot that the scenes walk the walk and talk with Gary because that was just so tight and I mean it was it wore me you know well one of the things like any actor certainly that works with Fincher or wants to work with Fincher you know it's he's the great auteur and one of the things that makes him great is his 
relentless pursuit of excellence. And you know that when you watch a Fincher film, everything is going to be thought of. You know there's nothing that is a coincidence or happenstance. And yep. and you certainly are not new at this. You've been, even though you're very young, you've been acting for a long time. What was that experience like for you working with him? Well, I don't, not to be self-deprecating, but I think, I I feel like I'm maybe, maybe I've been pretty lazy in my career. And not to say that I, I haven't worked really hard and I, not that I haven't been challenged, but this is another level of challenge. Of course, I knew that he did a lot of takes. That's the thing everybody talks about. They don't talk about why often enough. And I got to know why. And I never, ever felt like it was too, that we were doing too many, which is extraordinary for me because the laziness comes from impatience and that impatience was just kind of, I just dis- disappeared because I, I saw why. I understood why every time we were doing it again. And I don't know, I, I, I think that's just because, not, like you said, nothing is an accident. Like, not, not, you know, everything is, there's a reason for everything. And just to watch that, to watch someone with such precision and such confidence in his vision is makes you feel like you can do anything. You can. I just jumped into this warm pool, knowing that what we were making was going to be, in some ways, flawless, and that he was going to take care of me. Um, I don't know if I've ever felt that way, and maybe I will never feel that way again. But I certainly, I certainly feel like I've I I, I rose to the challenge, which is. I'm, I'm proud of that. <laughs> and I don't, I think he asks that of everybody and everybody, you have to rise to the challenge to work with someone who knows exactly what he's doing and exactly what he wants and has all the passion in the world is, um, oh, it's so, it's so nice. Mm-hmm. I'm just so, so happy that I, I, I got that experience. What do you think you'll take that from your experience with him? That I'm, that I can do better that that I should be more patient and that I ha- that I absolutely have it in me if I just like spend more time with it I think I'm not always going to get the opportunity to sit with something for a week or explore the moment on set you know for however many takes I'm not going to get that so I have to do all the work beforehand Thank God, thank God for this this role. And you know, I've I've done a lot of cool things in my life. I played a lot of cool characters and I've worked with amazing people, but but this is on another level. I and mean, this is something that's gonna live on for for everybody. Everybody involved and for everybody that sees it. Because mm-hmm. it's one of a kind. Well, one of the scenes I think where you particularly shine, you have no dialogue. And that costume party at San Simeon. One of their many, yeah. One of their many, right. Yeah. But you don't say one word. You just, the entire scene plays out on your face. 
And obviously, Mank, you know, this he comes in, he's drunk and he's rambling, and it's it's a big crescendo actually in the in the movie, a kind of before and after uh, effect of the scene. Can you talk to me about shooting that and and take me through that a little bit? It's my favorite thing in the world to not have dialogue get in the way. <laughs> I don't I don't know what that means for me as an actor talking to. Uh, about that with a friend of mine who's a director like how nice would it be just to do a silent movie and I mean I I didn't I got to f- feel every possible feeling that Marion might have been feeling and there was I mean there was a huge arc to that whole scene for for, for Marion for everybody for every character for sure I got to connect I mean it was just a, a feast for me as an actor I got to connect with Charles have those moments of all the things that I'm saying in all the things that I want to say that I can't say. It's so, it's so indulgent in a way and and easier maybe. I mean, I, it's like the, the audience can project so much of what you're doing. So you can, it's, I don't know how to describe it. It's like, it's very freeing, but also, almost harder in a way too, because you're trying, you, you want, you want the audience to understand what you're going through. And she was going through a lot. So there was just, it just ran the gamut. And there were a lot of notes coming in from David, like six notes at a time. And every take, maybe I'd get two or three of those and then we'd keep doing it. And I just got to feel so many things. (laughs) And I had so many opportunities to do it. So I don't know. It was, I, I made a meal out of it for sure. I was surprised at how many, how much screen time I had in that scene when I saw the movie. Um, But then I realized it was, you know, there's so much happening for, for all three of them, really that little, that triangle, uh, Mank and, and Hearst and and Marion. I should say for our listeners that Charles is Charles Dance who plays Hearst. Yeah. God, just looking across the table. I mean, we were there for a while, you know, a whole week, right? Like, of, this was a huge scene. I mean, Gary, every time I will say, and I'm sure you're going to hear this a lot, Gary never cut back on his performance, never missed a beat or a line. Maybe he did. I wouldn't have known. Sounded great. Sounded, if I couldn't see him, because, you know, he'd be around and then I'd look over. And I mean, it was it was complicated to shoot for sure, but... I mean, I guess everything is when there's a lot of people involved. But it was so fun. It was when I wasn't extremely nauseous. It was really exciting to get to do a scene like that. How did Fincher talk to you about Marion? Because she was a uniquely modern figure in this golden era of of actresses. But she had a very contemporary perspective on life. I'm curious about what, what kind of conversations you had around her and about her. Um, all of our discussions were really about where she, like, what kind of person she is, where she came from, and, and, and how she feels about people. And to keep everything sort of grounded in just, being, just how genuine she was. She tells it like it is. And a lot, not a lot of women did, especially... I mean, in that era, especially like being the mistress of, of Hearst, I mean, she had no, she really had no 
shame about anything. And that was also very kind of modern. She was just really honest about what she felt, who she was, and just wasn't ashamed. I mean, you can, that really came out in that scene, Mayor's birthday party. She just was talking and she doesn't feel bad about anything. She doesn't feel bad about what she talks about, what she heard. You know, she understands, oh, I shouldn't have said that. But whatever, you know, she's, you can see everything. You can see who she is. You, you can, you can touch her. She's real. And that was really important to show that side of her because the people that have heard of her, I think, wouldn't necessarily assume that. Mm-hmm. Well, it was, it made me love her because she, she knew how to play both sides. She was so much smarter than she was given credit for just because she was staggeringly beautiful. And people make that mistake all the time, you know, or or the cliche of the dumb blonde or, you know, all of that. And she was incredibly bright and emotionally, obviously, very astute. And I love the way you played that. I just, I felt that and I love the way you, you were able to carry that through the performance. I mean, I know it's it's hard because I played my first role that anybody saw me as was Karen Smith, which is, I mean, it's classic. I, it's one of my favorite uh, experiences of all time. But of course, people, yeah, saw me as the, the ditzy blonde because of that. And I got a lot of like uh, auditions to play ditzy blondes or like, you know, big boobed teenagers and I, I imagine, like, well, I, I imagine it was really difficult for her to play against that, the madcap comedian, ditzy blonde, you know, depending on the movie, she was playing a lot of the same characters. And so, of course, she didn't, people just assume that's who she was. Karen is obviously your character in Mean Girls. Yeah. Right. Which just had its reunion. You, I saw you just got together. Wasn't there something I saw with Tina Fey? Yeah. And, and Katie Couric put together a reunion. She had done a parent trap reunion and then I had worked with her husband on a, his podcast. She was like, you should, would you ever do that? I'm like, get it. Sure. Get it together. She's like, I reached out to some people. She reached out to Lindsay. Everybody was like, yeah, of mm-hmm. course. That was really great. Been a while. Yeah. It's been, everybody's come so far. It's like <laughs> they've just, we've had like full lives. I know. Well, I want to take you back a little bit to the beginning because I have some of my own memories and we can talk about those. But but for you, you grew up in Allentown, Pennsylvania, right? Which is, I think, the Rust Belt, as they would say. I know it from the Billy Joel yeah. song. And you really came out of the gate fast. I mean, you were modeling and then before you knew it, you were on a soap opera. What What was that driving force when you were a teenager to to want to act or want to pursue a career in show business I wanted to sing first of all that singing was like a big a big goal for me I I started singing when I was 10 because I had an Annie audition they Annie came back on that revival and I don't know god I was 10 so 80 uh 96 and I, from then on, I was like, this is, this is my dream. I want to be a singer. I love singing so much. I love the way it makes me feel. I love listening to singers and, you know, watching concerts. And then that kind of also turned into, I want to be on stage. I want to, I want to perform in every way. And I was on the dance team and I was, you know, there's just, I, I guess at that point, I just wanted to do everything. 
And then things just kind of, there was a path. Modeling agencies were sending me on auditions and it just, I kind of, I didn't force too much. It just kind of happened. I was scared and not very good. And then I, I realized what I, that I really loved doing it and I did want to make a career out of it. And so I started taking acting lessons more seriously and dropping the singing. And I don't know, it's just, um, I, I guess it was just needing, having a lot of energy and needing to have an outlet and knowing that I loved entertaining. I was always trying to make people laugh, but, uh, but I don't think it was anything. I don't know. It's so weird. The driving force was just it's such a, it's such a, I can't so hard to remember exactly what was going through my head because there were so many things. I mean, being a teenager and getting into this business, like I was also desperate to play tennis after school, you know, and then things happen. Like you get a role and you're like, okay, now I'm here. And then you don't get a role and you're like, okay, now I'm going to go to Fordham. And then you get Mean Girls and you're like, okay, I'm going to drop out of Fordham and I'm going to go to Toronto. And, you know, and if you, if I was like, I don't know if I'll ever work again. I, it was just step by step, scary, but exciting, thrilling. What was the part that made you feel like, okay, this is my path. I've made it. I, I'm going to be able to, you know, make a living at this. I think it was because I think it was when I was 18, I just got to LA and I got Big Love and Veronica Mars in the same month. And since one was recurring, the other was a contract. I could do both of them. And I was like, wow, okay. I got two jobs. (laughs) They're both going to last six months. And for the next six months, I'll be working. And hopefully I'll get a job after that. But right now this is my career. And I think that I can, fully engage in this Hollywood thing. And that felt really safe for six months. (laughs) It's hard. I was like, I know every time I would finish a movie or something, even when I was doing movies when I was 19, 20, I thought, well, this is it. Um, I might never work again. I still feel that way sometimes. Like when I'm, when I'm done with a press tour, okay, that's it. That movie's over. What if you know, I haven't worked in 10 months. What What's going to happen? It's just this, oh, there's this thing inside of us all, I think, that some of us listen to that voice more than others. Mm-hmm. Well, my, my impression was always that you had a certain um, tenaciousness, and maybe it's from growing up outside, you know, of New York or L.A. Uh, I was always impressed by your work ethic, and you, you kind of mentioned it a little bit earlier with Gary. You don't take yourself so seriously, but you show up on time and, and you know, you, you show up again and again and again and again. And I'm remembering that one time we shot you on the cover and you're vomiting the entire time, but you are not going to not be there. And that is like of all those covers and I did 20, you know, 20, some of them, all of them. And I'd never seen anything like that. We were all just, you'd like lay down, throw up and like kind of come back and, and sit up and do the picture. And I'm sure you remember that. I could tell by looking at your face right Post-traumatic now. Post-traumatic stress. Here's the thing. I never want to upset anybody, make anyone uncomfortable. I don't, I need, I need people to like me or to, to trust that I'm going to show up. Like I need that. And it's gotten me in trouble taking care of other people before taking care of my husband or taking care of my, you know, it's, it's definitely gotten the way. I definitely um, have learned a lot about boundaries, but it's still innate in me. You know, I'm, 
if I'm five minutes late, I feel really terrible. And that's a, I think that's a good thing. And I hope I to instill that in my children. Um, but yeah, yeah, of course. I mean, my time isn't more important than anybody else's. Maybe that's how I was raised, but you get a lot done and you make more friends doing it. And yeah, makes sense. It makes more sense to be that way. Mm-hmm. Do you feel like you're a young mother? <laughs> yeah, because my mom lives with me. <laughs> I feel so young. Especially when she's like, don't stand near the door. It's too cold. He's going to get cold. And my my mothering instinct kicks in right away. So I'm like, I roll my eyes at that. But then there are other moments when I'm feeling a little less confident and she can really get me and make me feel super young. And I feel like, okay, I'll just hand my my infant over to you because you're right. And we still have that dynamic sometimes. It drives my husband crazy. She is the the best thing that's ever happened to us. But yeah, I feel like a young mother. And then when you say, you know, you're still young, I'm like, no, I'm not. I'm almost 35. But yeah, you're right. I am young. All my friends are the same age with the same age kids, it seems like, within a couple of years. And and sometimes I feel like we're all just teenagers with children (laughs) and we need our mothers, but I wouldn't have it any other way. And you, you also chose to live out of the city, uh, both either New York or Los Angeles. So you're not in the in the midst of, of the industry on, on either coast. That had to have been deliberate. I think I think I just need less noise in order to to thrive emotionally. I think we all do, really. I'm not addicted to the city life. I certainly, you know, I'm close enough to a Starbucks. It it's fine. And and I always wanted animals and I just love space. I love space. And this has been great for being in a pandemic. My God, I, boy, am I lucky. But yeah, I, I always wanted to grow up on a farm. So when you, when you have money or when you earn enough money to, to have what you've always wanted, it's just like the first thing you do. Where's some land? How do I get some horses? And I did. <laughs> Like I'm just, and you know, it's a lot of people think I'm crazy, but I definitely, but cause I, I, I've already come to the realization that this is where I'm going to die. And my house is too small. I mean, this house is way too small, but what am I going to do? I'm, this is where I'm going to die. I've already decided it's like my, it's paradise. So yeah. And also I work enough. I'm always back and forth. I'm always in LA at some point. I'm always in New York at some point. There's like a compromise to be made. And this is the perfect compromise. Plus I don't have to pay that much for school. And you had a baby in a pandemic. You actually, like, all of a sudden, Amanda had a baby. I saw on your Instagram, I was like, wait, what? Oh, my God, we're here. I know. But how great, because I don't have, it's something we we can't, when you're in the public eye, you don't get a lot of opportunities to have a secret. Not that I needed to have a secret, but it, you, it seems like you have to share everything. Or I like to share a certain amount of things on my Instagram. I love social media for that to engage in other things and and to have people engage in my life a little bit. It's kind of fun to a point. And yet um, I can't walk down the street in LA, you know, some, I, I, listen, I, my lifestyle is pretty calm, but when I'm living in LA, I get photographed time to time. And, you know, if I was Mm -hmm. pregnant, they, people would know and, and, I don't know. It's just great to not have anybody know anything about what you're doing unless you choose to share it. That's the short answer. (laughs) Well, 
I want to talk about some of your projects because you had such you've had a lot of diversity, intentionally or unintentionally. Uh, from Mamma Mia, obviously, we talked a little bit about Les Mis, sing, you know, singing in both of those and singing with Meryl Streep, I'm just going to say, uh, and dancing around in overalls and all that uh, jazz. <laughs> uh, but how, for you, were those conscious choices or is that just like you said earlier, one thing kind of came after another and it was just a matter of saying yes to things as they came along? Um, yes, the diversity of roles, very intentional. It's tricky just to be specific. It was really tricky, um, to go forth with Lovelace and Chloe because of the content, but my, but I did those movies for a lot of reasons, but, but the, the other reasons were because I needed to break out of whatever people thought, especially the industry. To be seen in the industry, as, as to be respected in the industry is, of course, really important. I've always wanted that. I've always wanted people to trust that I could, I could perform, that I could bring it, that I could play different roles. So the diversity in that respect, like you, that's kind of like being tested. You know, I'm, I want to pass the test in my own, for my own peace of mind and also to show people that I can, I'm an actor, I can play different roles. But Chloe and Lovelace were, you know, tr- they could have been really tricky if I didn't nail it or if I didn't, if I couldn't get it right or if the movie turned out really bad or for many, any sort, any number of reasons. But I also was like, look, these are pretty serious roles. I'm not playing the dumb blonde. <laughs> I mean, I guess it could have been easier than that, but I just wanted to go to from one extreme to the next. And then some timing came, you know, was being like woven in and out of my career. Like, oh, Jennifer's body. That sounds like a lot of fun. That's a great director. Great script. Really fun role. And opportunities like that came along. And then, of course, I'd have to fight for a lot of roles. And that had nothing to do with keeping my career diverse. It was just I need to play Cosette in this movie. Do you like the but fight? Do you like when you audition? And I love when someone's like, I don't think you're right for it. And then I can reply, I'm I'm right for it. You will see. And of course, I don't know how many times I auditioned for Lemus. I was told no before I even auditioned. And I was like, you're gonna, I'm gonna, <laughs> I'm gonna make you wanna choose me by the end of this. And it worked perseverance it really worked I've only done it a couple times I it's just what I don't trust when I know that I can play a role that I'm that I'm right for it and that I that I'm right for it it's just if I trust that I am then I'm going to make someone or and and then at the end of the day I know when I'm done fighting I definitely have lost the game in some and for some movies but but you got to fight for it I don't I don't think you lose anything in that. I love auditioning. I'm like, I'm the actor that will, that will read, you know, there's just so many actors that I forget what the it's called when agents are like, Oh, offer only. I'm not an offer only for the most part Mm. because I like to fight. I love reading. I love, I love the competition. Mm -hmm. I always end my interviews asking this question um, because I talk to so many incredibly talented 
prolific people. What advice do you have for those choosing a career in the arts uh, to weather those successes and failures and to to persevere? I don't think there are any failures and it's 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 not easy not to look at um, rejection or or a, a challenge that feels impossible. It's not easy not to look at that as a failure. But I do believe every single thing that happens to you is is just a, a rung on the ladder. Like there's there's definitely um, you can carve out a path for yourself and you can make things happen and you can work hard, totally achieve your goals. Everybody has a different way of getting there. You can't ever mirror your your path to someone else's. Everything is unique. And, and just because, you know, you're experiencing failure or what you think is failure right now does not have a say in how, how you succeed. Thank you so much, Amanda. I love catching up with you. And it's good to see you. I really appreciate this, though. I'm so happy you want to see it again. I absolutely want to see it again. And you see different things in the film and you respond to different things. And it's it's fantastic. So I appreciate your time and congratulations on the new addition to your family. Um, I'm glad that the dogs and everyone's getting along, as, as we heard. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks so much for joining me. Mank is streaming now on Netflix. Please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast wherever you've been listening. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Krista Smith. Join me next time for more meaningful conversations here at Present Company.